we're back here on playing catch, and it's it's really uh, I, I want to say emotional, but it's not really emotional. But we just uh, we actually won uh, an award this past uh, weekend uh, at the Grammys. Um, I don't know if you guys heard. But uh, our intro music actually uh, won best uh, intro music um, at the Grammys well, for it's, a podcast. It's actually um, it was best intro music for a podcast uh, talking about Twins baseball from Denver, Colorado. So that's super exciting <laughs> stuff, guys. Um, congratulations uh, to the whole crew here. Um, you know, shout out to everybody who's yeah, you know been working behind the scenes and you know putting in you know hard days of work every single time we come out here. And we uh, had uh, all star crew that actually put that music together. It was um, uh, basically Tom Morello and and then Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Beethoven, <laughs> Beethoven wrote the music. So shout out to those two gentlemen. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you know they continue to find success in the future with their music oh, endeavors. But um, they helped us out a little bit last week, and so uh, yeah, we're here. We're gonna talk about the Grammys a little bit here on Playing Catch. We got a special guest uh, here. We got my other sister, who's also a performer, but a little more uh, on the music side, I would say. Uh, we got Zoe here. Say say what's up to everybody, Zoe. Hi. Um, I actually disagree. I'm actually in. Uh all-star volleyball player. All-star. Six, one. All-star volleyball. You're 6'1"? <laughs> since six since one. when? Since, I don't know. You know. Since you sat down in that chair? Like... <laughs> Yikes! Well, no, I do remember a volleyball era. There was a, there was a, there was like a softball era for you. There was a rugby era there for you. There was a horseback riding era for you. <laughs> you just kind of did it all, you know. There was yeah. some soccer thrown in there, I'm sure. I was, you know? we, uh, we were pretty good. Ult- ultimate frisbee there at the end. But she's 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 a lady of <laughs> many right. talents, you know. And uh, <laughs> we're here to talk music today, uh, not just sports. And uh, she's here with some expertise on what went down last weekend at the Grammys. And so uh, let's get right into it what was you know something that what was your favorite yeah, yeah. Gra- like, what was you your mean, favorite grammy that was awarded expert, what what happened what was your last favorite grammy? um my favorite grammy that was awarded well i think the most deserving grammy was the best new artist for Meg Thee stallion right like obviously okay like, sure. she kind of she truly is the best new artist like she kind of has released a lot I don't okay. really know who else was in that category. Who else was nominated? Phoebe Bridgers. She was in that one. Who was my best new artist? Right. But yeah. She's like, that's it's that's my favorite. But she was yeah definitely not gonna win <laughs> anything. Okay. Um, so Phoebe Bridgers. Who else did make the stallion beat? Like Noah Cyrus. Like it oh, wasn't. Oh really? And like okay. Doja Cat was the third. Like what well, is the okay. other person okay. we were like kind of talking about? Okay. Um, but. Yeah, the other people were like, there wasn't, I feel like there wasn't really a competition. It was either going to be, it was just going to be Megan or Doja Cat, I think. Mm, okay, okay. It was the widely accepted and they they kind of fall under a similar umbrella, I guess. Doja Cat's yeah. definitely more poppy, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. definitely come from, I think, the same tree. Um, well, they both had that moment where they, like, over the summer they had songs that were, like, TikTok songs. Like, mm-hmm. Megan had, like, Savage, and Doja Cat had, like, Say, Say so, so. yeah. Which mm-hmm. both are really good songs, but, like, definitely, like... Yeah, put them on the map. So they're they're yeah, they're cut from the same cloth in that way. But. So is Doja Cat like she came to be through like social media? Is that that her whole thing? Like was she like a YouTuber or where where did she come from? I thought I got that impression that she was like all. Or am I wrong about that? 
Where I'm she... not 100%. I know she's been, like, on the internet for a really long time. Like, okay. she knows that persona, but it's... I think, I think, I, the first time I heard, heard about her was through, like, TikTok. So, yeah, I guess you could say social media is, like, that's yeah, where she I, came from. I heard of her, I don't know, it was probably a little more than a year ago. And it was, it, it wasn't even, like, uh, like, I took her seriously as an artist. It was just, like, my roommate showed me a, one of her music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was just kind of, like, interesting because it was just, like, her... It was just her, and, like, it was just different shots, but, like, in, like, one shot, she was, like, eating a cheeseburger, and then, like, singing her song, and then, like, drinking a milkshake, and it's just, like, a whole... It's a very weird music video, but it definitely mm. stood out, and then she kind of blew up, like, right after that, so, like, I... I'm, I kind of definitely see where you're getting that, like, YouTube, like, kind of look or, you know, appearance, because, like, it was... She didn't strike me as a serious artist when I first saw her, you know? So is that, like, the way that, like, when you think about people finding music now mm-hmm. right is that like to what extent is like youtube tiktok like is that actually like what percentage of how people are finding music is that versus of course like radio is dead right like nobody listens to radio anymore is that true so let's assume radio is dead and then you've got like streaming services like spotify and then you got like you like where are your friends finding new music i mean zoe you're like yeah what do you i mean talk about how you're finding new music um my it's a huge mix of things for me like um i feel like sometimes i like find stuff on youtube or like um like i mean yeah tiktok like one or two songs right i find on either of those things but the majority of my music comes from like um if i like an artist and then there's artists like connected to them like i'll like look at labels and like listen so like if, like, someone is on the Matador record label, then I'll listen to a lot of the people on Matador because it tends to be, like, those are all going to be good musicians, like, for the most part, or make the same kind of music. Um, but you're kind of a music nerd, though. Yeah, I spend probably too much time looking for new music. So, um, Ben, like, where are your friends looking for it? Where are they finding it? Um, it's kind of a mix, I would say. A lot of, like, word of ear you know word of mouth like oh like have you heard this song like i do that a lot with my friends i know because like sometimes you just stumble on a song like accidentally or just you're just like looking through an artist and you know you see like you know like something on spotify where it's like oh like people also listen to x or something you know it's like this is like like it's all connected in a way so you can kind of go down a rabbit hole a little bit in terms of like finding new people I know what I really like, Spotify does the new Music Friday playlist, which is super cool. It's just anything that comes out, um, like, on that Friday or whatever, they just f- put a playlist together with, like, a bunch of songs um, from different albums or whatever, singles that are coming out, and they just throw it all together, and you can kind of scroll through and find people that you recognize or people that you might like, and you can kind of just pick and choose. So that's what I kind of do. Yeah, and it's, like, it's, it's customized to your listening habits too right like um, release, your release radar bit. is different than my release radar yeah like what probably. i get on mine is yeah. totally different than yours yeah that's yeah that makes sense yeah for sure yeah yeah so you do you use spotify too then mm-hmm. so like just the different ways that music is recommended to you like the what do they call them the the mixes that they do the daily the daily mixes yeah i don't necessarily use the daily mixes as much it's just more of like a oh, like, let me wait for this Friday playlist to come out, and then I'll add it to my playlist. Like, I'll just mm-hmm. download it right then if I like it. You know, it's not... 
yeah that's cool through the mixes and stuff as much but same concept for sure so yeah it's super easy too like I, I love how easy it is to find new people like that you've never heard of before but like have a similar sound to a lot of people like they really do a good job of so it's like you know it's funny because um i listen to spotify fairmont myself i have a hard time finding new music that way like i i don't know what it is like it's something in my brain like i just don't compute uh picking up new sounds that way i'm like i'm looking always more for something a bit more curated i don't i'm not sure what it is but like some something that like i would say maybe more about like certain artists might recommend somebody that sort of thing nowadays like i don't of course i'm getting old so i don't necessarily need to come up with new music to listen to i'm listening to stuff kind of on my own so it's a little bit different that way but anyway it's just sort of interesting so anyway we could go on and on and talk about this i do have another question though about back to the grammys like so i didn't really pick this up until i saw it at the grammys but the, when um uh, megan the stallion uh wins the grammy uh for i forget what it was but it was with the, the grammy with beyonce for best like record or something like song of the year or something. so i kind of got this impression <laughs> from that whole thing that megan the stallion is kind of like the next beyonce like she was sort of positioning herself to sort of take the crown not from beyonce because she's still awesome but like in terms of like that next generation artist Am I wrong about that? Is that is she positioning herself to be the next Beyonce, in terms of like that sort of superstar? Like, or am I am I wrong about that? Or is that like not even a thing anymore? I, like, there's not going to ever be another Beyonce. I think, I think there's never going to be another Beyonce. Like, I think Beyonce has been around for how like so long? Like, like between Destiny's Child and like you know, and then moving on from that, like, she's just been around for so long, and she's, like, essentially created an empire around her music that I don't think is, I don't think you can replicate it, like, it's just not possible. I do think, um, uh, like, there's, there, you know their one connection, their similarity between Meg Thee Stallion and Beyonce is they're both from Houston, like, and so, Oh, I didn't know that, okay. Um, so that's kind of why it was, like, a big deal that, like, um, Beyonce was, like, like, did that song with her? Like, and I think maybe, I don't remember completely, but I think it might have been, like, Jay-Z who, like, found Meg Thee Stallion or something like that. Like, um, I just think there's a lot of connections between them. I think there's a possibility that, like, Beyonce fosters Meg Thee Stallion and, like, kind of, like, helps her, like, push her career forward. I don't know if they're going to be the same thing. Especially because I would say the music that Meg Thee Stallion is creating isn't necessarily, like, typical pop music in the way that everyone is supposed to like it and want to listen to it all the time. Like, like she is creating music that causes controversy, like, controversy, like, obviously, which is, like, Beyonce has only kind of done that in the last, like, ten years of her career, I would say, which is I mean, different. the one thing I would say about that is, like, yeah, it might be a little more controversial, but I think if you're going to compare, like, Beyonce in her prime to, like, say this is Megan her prime, like, the the time periods and, like, the music taste of the, the time period definitely plays a huge part because even though it doesn't sound pop and, like, that's what we call, you know, like, what we consider to be, you know, uh, the most well-known, but, like, it's, like, 
genuinely like I think a very popular form of music at this point, even if it isn't pop. You know, it's like I think it's genuinely having a huge grasp on the music industry. Um, female rappers, just in general, are just kind of, kind of blowing up right now. Um, like we talked about Doja Cat. Um, again, not the same kind of artist as Megan Stallion in terms of rap, but like definitely like R and B, like has her own kind of flair, her own kind of style. Like we're starting to see that way more from uh, females in the industry, um, which we hadn't really seen in the hip hop rap and, um, game for a while. And like female rappers of color as well. Right. It's yeah. Like a big it's yeah. It's I mean aspect of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really starting to take off. Um, and so I do, I, I would argue that that is what pop music is today. So, yeah, I think there is an argument that Meg Thee Stallion could be compared to Beyonce somewhat in terms of, like, what she's doing right now. Because I think she's got nowhere to go but up at this point. So Yeah, I mean, that's that. what I was thinking. I mean, I, you know, understandably, she's controversial. But, like, a lot of the sort of premier pop artists, particularly, in, I would say, women, like, they sort of thrive on controversy. I mean, in my generation, Madonna did a lot of stuff that, at the time, was considered pretty out there, right? I mean, you know, you can look at songs like Like a, you know, like a Prayer and other stuff that was, like, taking on Christian orthodoxy, <laughs> taking on, like, all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, back then, was, like, pretty out there, and she was, she was it. I mean, she was the female artist of the 1980s, right, and into the, into the 90s. And so, I, I'm, it's interesting. It's just the, the standard, like, the bar keeps getting higher about what... Um, is controversy, right? And there's no question that her and Cardi B this last year set the bar up a little bit higher uh, with oh, yeah. a song. <laughs> so I, it's, so it's, and, and it was huge, right? It was a huge song, right? It was, did it get to number one? Mm, yeah. yeah, right? So, I mean, what do you, what do you think? You know? I, I do, I, yeah, I mean, I agree completely. Like, I, it's, it's, um, yeah, like, women who really make waves in the industry, I feel like, are, like, doing things that, like, you know, the typical audience would, yeah, not, not be super happy about. So, like, the first, like, someone who comes to mind constantly is, um, like, uh, the chicks, the Dixie, formerly the Dixie chicks, but they're the chicks now. Um, but when they, they said something about George Bush, right, in, like, 2000 and whatever, and then we're cut out of the country music industry for like a very long time 20 years 20 like. years and then they just came back this year um and then i don't know even like phoebe bridgers went on snl and destroyed her guitar at the end of her song and people were like david crosby was like that was pathetic and then she responded to him on twitter in a controversial statement which got so, so I want to comment on that. So I have to say, all my uh, rock and roll heroes uh, that were criticizing Phoebe Bridgers for that are like, do they not know what they sound like? They sound like everything that they were like singing against when they were young people. <laughs> like, so I found that insane that David Crosby, who's like contemporaries include The Who and Pete Townsend who, and Jimi Hendrix, like they made their business out of wrecking guitars on stage. So I just find that insane. And there's a reason why Pete Townsend said, I hope I die before I get old, because that's clearly what's happened with David Crosby. So I just thought that was ridiculous, you know, whatever you want to say about it. But yeah, I'm with you on that, I mm -hmm. thought. And so t more power to Phoebe Bridgers to like not be afraid to sort of take on 
typical conventions about what men can get away with uh, in music and what women can get away with. Right. You know, so I thought that was a pretty cool thing. And she does have an amazing knack of getting under the skin of old white classic rock musicians. So. She has it in a song from her Grammy-nominated <laughs> album. Like, I literally hate Eric Clapton. Like, she writes... Well, yeah, she... In so many words, she says that. Yeah, um, yeah. So. For, I mean, and she has good reason, too. She's like, it's not like he's an innocent... Well, it's funny because it's so rock and roll that she would like, and that's where this is kind of where we're at, right? Like, to like actually to rebel against the convention, which of course classic rock is like the convention for like a whole generation of people, and the fact that she'd rebel against it, just like maybe the '60s rockers were rebelling against, you know, you know, music from before that, right? Or Mm -hmm. so it's just it's kind of crazy. But anyway, that was fun um, to see her do that, and I'm sorry she didn't win any any awards. I'm not hurt. or a big O for O for four. We call that. What do we call that in baseball, Ben? The golden sombrero. The golden sombrero. The old O for four. So or the collar. That's, right. <laughs> That's what we call That's it. Right. So, <laughs> so I want to tell you what my favorite, my two favorite Grammy awards were. Uh, was um, uh, Wilco right winning for best cd packaging so that was really something you know not the music but the package was really cool something about the way that they folded the plastic <laughs> around the cd i guess so you that's know, like that sounds like in my head like you getting like presents for christmas and then like afterwards being like the best part was the wrapping <laughs> yeah, exactly i'm gonna save yes. the wrapping paper like I'm you know i don't really care what's it like playing with the box yeah i don't care what it comes with as long as it looks cool when i unwrap it you know that's all i yeah. care about well with all due respect i love everybody knows i love wilco they're my favorite band uh i love jeff Tweedy. And so, of course, I'm sure he's happy. Uh, it's a great album, by the way, though. The album that they did it, they, they, they won for, is actually a solid record. So I, I'm guessing you probably don't win best CD packaging or whatever the heck you won with a garbage record, right? Like, you know, it's like the album is absolutely horrible, but man, that cover was like, let's give is it a Grammy. Let's give it a Grammy. Is there not like an award for like best like album cover? Like, I think, well, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of it. Like, I mean, I don't know. It might be. Like, why is that not a thing? Best album cover? Because album covers are great. Well, now, I mean, now that we're getting back to vinyl, where actually there are album covers, like, I suppose that's kind of a thing. Well, I mean, yeah, even, I mean, if they're on a CD, it's going to be the same picture. But, like, at the same time, it's like. Yeah, yeah. I I think there should be an award for that. I think there probably is. If you're out designing super cool album covers for people, like, come on, you know, like. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, what's the difference between that and, like, a freaking graphic designer that wins an Oscar for a movie or something like yeah. that, you know? Like, yeah. what's the difference? There's not a huge difference. But. So my other favorite Grammy was Rachel Maddow winning for Best Spoken Word <laughs> <laughs> um, record. No, it wasn't a record, it was a book, but, you know, I thought that was hilarious. Wait, so a book, wait, a like book a won a Grammy? Like, she won a Grammy for, like, yeah, best, like, audio book, basically, I think is what she won. Or, like, best reading of an audio book. Yeah, I'm... Wow. Okay. <laughs> you tell me they didn't televise that? I was jumping up and down. Oh, wait, now that. I remember. That award came right after our podcast won the best intro. Exactly. Movie. Okay, I was just sorry. I was just so, like, overwhelmed and, like, flustered. It was actually um, during the commercial break between Taylor Swift winning album of the year. Oh, and, okay. okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah I was winning. definitely, like, all over the place. I was like, T-Swift over here. I just won a Grammy. I don't know. What she was, like, I, coming I up to you do. and being like, I love your podcast I didn't know music. what to do. I didn't. Do, I didn't know what to do, guys. I'm sorry. 
say, but um, wow, that's interesting. Spoken word, yeah, as yeah. a Grammy, yeah, and an album cover. Like that's just shocking that spoken word is like an award, but like someone doesn't get recognized for like creating like a super cool album cover. So I think that's what Wilco won. I think that's what that is. I mean, it might. I think I said CD, but I think I, I meant. I think it was vinyl, though. I think it was actually like. It's like the, the like the way they say it. It's like a full packaging. Like like literally the word package is in the award name. So, but like. It is a little crazy now that I'm kind of a vinyl geek. Like, what they're doing to get people to spend 20-some-odd bucks on a vinyl record is a little crazy. Like, the different colored vinyl, and, I mean, I, <laughs> that just, for me, that just does nothing for me. I could care less what color the vinyl is. I mean, I just want it to be a solid-sounding solid record. So, whatever. I guess it's apparently working. I mean, I don't know. Folks that you know that are buying vinyl, your friends are buying vinyl, are they, do they care about that stuff? I have no idea. But I mean, I don't really care about that stuff, but what I... I just think it's an incentive to buy stuff like um, like you know who does this you, who capitalizes on the this, the little little details is um, Taylor Swift like she does um, folklore but you can have multiple editions of folklore you can have the like Betty aspect you can have the August like themed record or you can, like it's like stuff where you're like it's just, it's the same music. It's just like this one's tan and this one's gray. It's a scam. And it's <laughs> it's a huge scam. But she is 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 making a lot of money off of that scam. So <laughs> I will say that I will say this though. I mean, whatever you can do to get people to buy your record, right? Right. So like I've like bought in every Beatles record like five times. Like, because they come out with a remastering and then a remixing and then something else, mono version versus the stereo version. So it's, it is true that if you can get people to buy your record multiple times, then more power to you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here I thought it was just if you can get people to dance to your music, that's all you needed. But I guess you need all this packaging and stuff, you know? Like. Yeah. You gotta make it look cool too. Well, making know? a living as an artist, as a music musician, is hard harder than ever, right? Yeah. So I think anything you can do to like, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff people are doing, which is cool actually. You know that you can find ways to get better connected to your artists and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. but, uh, I mean, I've, yeah, I've got a Patreon subscription to Gary Lewis from the Jayhawks, who I'm sure nobody else knows besides me. But nevertheless, I pay him five <laughs> bucks every month so that I can like you know hear him play a song or two <laughs> so that you know exclusive access wow you know and then i made a request and he played my song when i requested it so stuff like that yeah that's the high that's one that the highlight of your life I that was pretty much that was the you know right up with you guys is being born and you know the day i got married <laughs> it, mean, goes, it, goes ella, it goes ella zoe <laughs> gary loris <Ben. laughs> that's right hey, i'm just happy to be fourth at that point. <laughs> Could have been lower on that list, I feel like. But, hey, you know. That's funny. You know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Speaking of the Jayhawks, though. Yeah. Um, how's your bracket doing? Because it is, we're in the midst of uh, some chaos. Uh, uh, NCAA, NCAA March Madness. Tournament. I guess, Zoe, we're done talking about the Grammys. Yeah, I did not fill out a bracket. <laughs> um, you didn't fill out a bracket this year? No, my story is I got the email, I opened the link, they were like, what's the name of your bracket? And I was like, I'm going to do something so funny. And then I left my computer for two weeks and, like, didn't do it. Now it's too yeah. late. Yeah, that's um, tough. Sorry, I didn't know you guys wanted to continue talking about the No, we can be done. Like, <laughs> my bad. I, right, I thought that was just, like, a nice little caveat. I'm actually really impressed by the way you pivoted like, like that. Like, that was, that was 
yeah, I, I, I was trying to like sit back and wait for a transition. I tried to set it up with like my little dancing comment before, like speaking of dancing. Uh, but, um, I didn't catch. I didn't really catch on. You guys kind of kept going. Uh, you should have. You should have done something with a hand signal or something, man. <laughs> like, like cut, like move on. Like. You guys were on just such a roll. I didn't want to just throw off your groove right now. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, we could make the transition to March Madness. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate your time, Zoe. Thanks, thanks for, for having thanks for coming. Me. On talking some music with us we appreciate it yeah. we'll do this again we'll do it again <laughs> all right march yeah, madness yeah. so dude dude i do have um an extra grind with you about you, okay. march madness okay so yeah, we're, we're sitting there so i think he did just like this was just a tactic to sort of get me to kill my bracket but you know ben is a washington state dude he's going to he's a pac-12 guy mm-hmm. right like he made a choice to go pac-12 and so, yeah. so yeah, he's yeah. like supposed to be my guy, my my contact, my resource for understanding all things Pac-12. He told me, Pac-12's horrible. Do not pick Pac-12 for any game, including including. And we're here in Denver, Colorado. Do not pick Colorado over um, Georgetown, who barely made the tournament. Um, maybe didn't even deserve to make the tournament except for winning their conference tournament. And lo and behold, and then, of course, you know, I'm a Big Ten guy all the way, so I, I drank all of the Kool-Aid mm-hmm. about the Big Ten being the juggernaut of all conferences this year. Mm-hmm. So that combination of those two things have pretty much destroyed my bracket in the first 45 minutes of <laughs> March Madness. <laughs> uh, well, okay. You got beef with me about the Pac-12. If you want to go and ask anybody that watched Pac-12 basketball this year, you would know that you were watching subpar basketball for the most part. At least that's what I saw this year. I don't know. And maybe it's because I was watching a lot of Washington State games. I know we're not that great. Whatever. But... I was genuinely not impressed. I haven't been impressed by the Pac-12 in terms of their basketball for a little while. And so, yeah, I was very skeptical about, you know, the Oregon States and the, the CUs and, you know, who else is in it? Oregon's in it. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, well, USC's playing right now. Yeah. USC's, oh, yeah, USC's tied with Drake right now. So let's see how that game goes. We can see how that game goes. Oregon's got VCU later on today. We'll see how that game goes, and then we can revisit it, how the Pac-12 is yeah, looking. So, yeah, so, so I, I don't think I picked Drake for this game. I did uh, I did pick VCU, though, to win. Okay. I, so we're going to yeah. see how that goes. So, I mean, Pac-12, like... It is what it is. Like they're playing good basketball. But Oregon State's playing great basketball. They're one of the hottest teams in the country. Like they made an insane run in the Pac-12 tournament and beat CU. You know, like again, like another like reason why I was skeptical about the bus was like you know they just they couldn't take care of the biggest game of the tournament against Oregon State. You know, a team they beat by double digits two times before. Mm-hmm. You know, and I get the oh it's the hard it's hard to beat the team. You know, the third time. Yes, I understand that. But you know. You got you got to take care of business in the tournament, and I didn't see that from them, and so I was skeptical. And I I saw this Georgetown team coached by Patrick Ewing, and they ran through the Big East tournament with no problem whatsoever, beat Creighton by 30 in the championship, and was looking like no one was gonna stop them. And that was that was my take. And obviously, Georgetown went on a went on a run in the Big East tournament and did not belong there today against the Buffs. Completely outmatched Buffs shot. The lights out tonight I mean or today like they had 
one kid, I mean, just lighting it up from three-point land. I think his name was Jabari something Jabari. Everybody was posting on their Instagram stories. All the Boulder kids were posting this kid on their story because he was shooting so well. But um, they played great. And, yeah, I, I think if we're going to turn and look at the Big Ten, uh, what was that uh, – I think you sent me a text yesterday morning. Um, like was, I said, this was, this I, was of course, <laughs> um, after who lost? Which Pac-12 team won yesterday? It was, was it Oregon no, State no, that you texted was, me? No, no. Originally, I, I don't remember what I texted Oh, that's – I so in our bracket, I had no Big Ten teams in the Yes, in, in the that's right. Four. So I was so giving you, you a like, hard time. So you were like, what the heck? No love for the Big Ten. Um, I do have three brackets. It's not like I don't show love to the Big Ten. Like, I definitely showed love to the Big Ten. I just, you can't have every bracket. Well, if you're having a bracket with a bunch of people from Minnesota, you probably should, like, give a little love to the Big Ten. Yes, but if I have another group with a larger buy-in that I potentially care about more, maybe I put more thought into that one, put the Big Ten teams in that one, and try my chances with other teams in the other one because it's, you know. I see. You know, so you're really only in our bracket just to sort of minimize your losses, potentially. I think, <laughs> I, if we're going to be completely honest, I think March Madness, at least this year, is what it's going to boil down to. Like, it's who, can, be who can just hold on to their big guys as long as possible? Do I think those big guys are going to get to where they need to be? I don't know. Really? Maybe. You don't think Gonzaga's a slam dunk to be in the Final Four? No. Really? I don't. Well, to be in the Final Four? Yeah. They... They got to get past an Iowa team who's played them before and is really good and has potentially the best player in the country. So they do that. I don't see anybody stopping them. But yeah. well, that's, a, that's a hard Elite Eight matchup right there against Iowa, if you ask me. I don't, I don't want to face them in the Elite Eight. But they got to get there first, obviously. They look great. They always look great, though, too. So we got to keep that in mind. Yeah, so. yeah. so I picked – I put. <laughs> we're all refer- referencing the fact that I put Ohio State in my Final Four. Yeah, yes, which, we never got to that part. So Bruce, so, so Bruce put Ohio State in his Final Four, and I texted him at 10.53 that morning mm-hmm. um, that I don't want to hear it as soon as Ohio State's bounced early. Um, I think that was the exact <laughs> text. So, yeah, um, you gotta, I got to hand it to you, man. You, you saw that coming. I didn't think they were going to get bounced that early. <laughs> But I definitely saw them not making it too far. I don't know. It was, I mean, I we saw know. it. We saw it. So I was, I use, I mean, let's be clear. Every year I spend less and less time thinking about my bracket. So it's just, I just don't have the brain cells uh, to be able to think about that as much as I do. I do look at 538, though. Like, that's my go-to resource. They do the probabilities. And so that bracket, I think they had Baylor as sort of like the weakest which I don't understand because Baylor's really good, but they, they had them sort of like in terms of like the week. Is, they're in the same bracket as Baylor, right? Ohio State, is that right? Um, I don't remember. I want to say. Maybe no, I'm getting Baylor's, things confused. Baylor's in the same bracket. Or no, yeah, it would be Ohio State. Yeah, it is. It okay, is. so yeah. like for some reason Baylor did like they, there was like greater odds of like Baylor was like the weakest of the top seeds right. in terms of their probability, according to 538, to make the Final Four. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to not pick a, a, a number one seed, I'm going to pick the team with the lowest probability. And so that was sort of my thinking, and I'm like, okay, Ohio State, Big Ten's supposed to be so strong. Yeah, but you know what's crazy about like these picks, right, is that I inevitably, like, the hindsight is so 2020. Like, I, I look at that pick, and I'm like, what was I thinking? 
Right? Yeah. I mean, the Minnesota Golden Gophers handed it to the Ohio State in the regular season and took the Buckeyes to the wire in the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. And, like, why am I not seeing this? Like, Ohio State's not that good. But somehow I convinced myself that, oh, yeah, they could be make a run. And, like, instantly I'm, like, regretting it. Like, mm-hmm. why did I not see this? Of course they weren't going to make it to the Final Four. I should have seen this all along. Why was I so stupid? Like, that seems like to be constantly the way I think about these things. No, and I mean, if, if we're being completely honest and we're going to sit back and, like, look at all these Big Ten teams that are supposed to be, you know, big and scary, um, Gophers hung with – Gophers beat Iowa, right? Yep. Gophers beat Michigan – they whooped them. They smoked them. They it was it wasn't even close. Um, they beat Ohio State. That was, by the way, their high water mark though. Like it went completely in the tank after yeah. that Michigan game. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, who else? Uh, Rutgers. I think they beat us both times. Yeah, they beat but, us, but it was close. But it was, close was like games. you know what? Like so, like you compare like I think the only team, the only Big Ten team that. Sh- Shove it down, shoved, shoved it down our throats this year. Both times we played them was Illinois, oh, yeah. and so that was kind of my thinking in a way, where it was like, I've seen you know soft spots with all these other Big Ten teams, you know, I haven't really seen Illinois fold yet, and so that's why the, I I went with Illinois in my other bracket. Uh, I took Gonzaga and ours, but I I mean those two teams like right now I would have to say are. Like my two, my my top two to to, to go uh, finish yeah, it off. Yeah, I think so. they yeah they both look really solid, really really good. And so yeah, we'll have to see. But yeah, there's a lot of I mean, of course, as far as always March Madness, there's always craziness. I mean, we're watching right now. Um, Iona hold and hanging with Alabama. Rich, I mean, Richard's daddy's in the tournament <laughs> again. Yeah, you see, I, there's no t- no crocodile tears. For Rick, uh, for Richard Patino, the young Patino, yeah, he, the, he went and yeah. got hired by New Mexico this week for like a five million dollar contract. Yeah, so he he he's landed on his feet just fine. I you know we can talk all day about that. I I, I actually didn't love that move. I, I I thought he just got a lot of bad luck uh, this year with some injuries and COVID and everything else. It just seems like a weird year to give a bail on a guy, but. Uh, you know who knows and, and now of course all these guys are entering the transfer portal so it's going to be like all the way back to square one i mean if Carr yeah. and mm-hmm. mashburn and Amr was it omersa oh, um, oh, omersa they all leave like they're back to like they're so who knows one, they're yeah. back to square one bad basketball team for at least two or three years before whoever they bring in uh and it could be anybody at this point, I get a chance to rebuild the team, and it's too bad because that's Gopher Hoops is like my after the Twins, it's Gopher Hoops for me. I would, you know, that's the team I would love to see be successful. Uh, and uh, I've watched them over the years. There's definitely been some amazing moments over the years. Of course, most of the cases they've been uh, taken out of the uh, record books because of NCAA violations. So if you were to look up the record books and see, you know, whether the Gophers have been in the Final Four in the last 30 years, it actually says they haven't. But of course, we all know they were there. Mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those things. But so I, I always hope for the Gophers because. Um, yeah, they're they're fun to watch. Williams Arena is an amazing place. It's the greatest place to watch a sporting event in the Twin Cities. Agreed. That's for sure. Agreed. I mean, even better than Target Field, as far as I'm concerned, in Target terms Center. of like Target Center. Yeah. Well, I mean, Target Field in terms oh, of yeah, sports, about all sports venues. venues okay. I mean, okay. Target Field's awesome, but there's something about Williams Arena, the history, the the you know, all of that yeah. that I love. Yeah. But um, 
anyway so so yeah we'll see i mean uh, uh, my bracket is not completely busted yet so but i'm guessing that uh i'm probably not winning this year again hey you never know till you know that's you right now yeah that's you gotta that's that's the attitude you gotta have you know it's well it's always fun it's a, the best thing i think we've talked about this the best thing about this time of year is like you watch basketball for two and a half weeks and then it's baseball season and yep. so like this is a perfect distraction uh, while I'm the anticipation for uh, opening day amounts day in and day out. So absolutely, we're getting closer and twins are uh, continue to be refining. Their roster is starting to get shaved down. I think they're down to 49 guys now. So they still have about 20 or so they have to like you know, make decisions on. But I think we all know that their roster is pretty well set anyway. Um, and uh, things are looking, we'll see. I mean, uh, they're, you know, they're not exactly crushing it in spring training. No, but not that we care about win losses there, but there's definitely some reasons for optimism. I don't think there's any question about that. And there's some interesting things to talk about in terms of what the team's doing um, that we've talked about in the past. So, I mean, I think a good example uh, was uh, yesterday, the Twins uh, had a, a game uh, with the Braves, and, um, and what was, there were a couple of things that were interesting about that. The first was Randy Dobnik got another start, and Randy Dobnik, who I think most folks thought was sort of initially competing for the fifth starter spot, but then when we signed Shoemaker, uh, they decided, I think everybody agreed that he probably was going to be on the odd man looking out. But so far this spring, you could make the argument that you know between him and Kenta Maeda, they've been the best two pitchers in camp. Uh, I think without a question, Birrios had a little bit of a hiccup the other day. Shoemaker did not look good. Pineda had sort of a so-so outing. So Hap has only had the one outing, so we can't really say anything about him. So Dobnik and, and, and Lewis Thorpe maybe also as a dark horse have both been truly impressive this spring. Uh, so it's good to see him doing well. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, Do you, we were talking about this a little bit. Dobnik's working on a new slider. Um, in his in his arsenal, is that what he's yeah, that's, so he he changed the grip on his slider. Okay, okay. <laughs> and this guy's amazing because he's so nonchalant about everything. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he was like, you know how it is. Because like, if you're a baseball player, you know during after pregame warmups, right? Like you're just screwing around. You'll you'll just fiddle around with stuff all the time, right? You'll throw a knuckleball and you'll fiddle yeah. around with a curveball. Yeah. He makes it sound like he just sort of gradually just sort of decided to change the grip on his slider all in three minutes. And then lo and behold, he's become like, you know, this <laughs> second coming of Steve Carlton. Mm, yeah. <laughs> or like Pedro Martinez yeah. with this wicked slider, right. you know? <laughs> well, I mean, what I kind of like, I mean, he doesn't throw the ball hard at all, you know, and we knew that. He's a pitch-to-contact kind of guy. Yeah, I think um, that slider's coming in around 84 or yeah, 85. Yeah, and so, like, so. you know, if you're able to kind of maximize, you know, your location, but, like, also, you know, if you're able to add a couple inches by changing your grip or something, you know, like, it's going to make a difference, I think, for a guy like that. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? So people sort of have a book on him. And then he does something a little bit different, and then they're going to have to adjust to it. So I, I think this is the sort of a little bit of the storyline with the Twins, right, where they get guys to do a little tweaking, do something different. And the question is how far they can ride that um, and, and, and get guys out and get swing and misses off of those changes before the league catches up to them. And who knows? We're going to have to see because Dobnik is, you know. The Wes Johnson effect. Yeah, right. Like, it's just like we're going to make some changes. And so uh, the, the Twins definitely um, – 
their approach to their pitching staff is different than a lot of what the conventional wisdom is right now. So like, yeah, Dobnik is not the guy that you'd be thinking about in terms of being like a starter or somebody typically, because he doesn't throw the ball hard. Um, he, you know, he works inside, outside. He doesn't work up, down, right? He's not throwing the high fastball at 93 miles an hour to get the swing and miss like Odorizzi was doing, right? So like the Twins have made a decision, right? And actually there's a great story in Twins Daily, I recommend folks look at it, that really does make the argument that what the Twins are doing with their pitching staff is sort of zigging while everybody else is zagging, if I may say so, in terms of how they're thinking about their pitching. So the conventional wisdom is high velocity, uh, working up on the zone, sort of getting guys to swing and miss because they're their launch angles or they're trying to get, launch the ball, so they're swinging at high pitches. So if you can throw with some velocity up in the zone, you're going to be in good shape. That's sort of been something that you know, been the, the way that they're attacking. The Twins are definitely, you know, not to say that they don't have guys that can do that, but there's no question that when you think about Maeda, Pineda, um, Pineda, Berrios, um, Dobnek, um, Hap, none of them are that pitcher. I mean, none of them are that pitcher. They're working the corners. They're throwing their sliders for, for strikes and for swings and misses. It's a completely different vibe. And it's basically the whole money ball thing where the Twins have decided they think by doing this, they can capture value in the market, get these guys for lower prices, but still get the results by not paying as much. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a fascinating to see how that unfolds over the course of the years, to see how the pitching staff. Now, last year, it worked, right? Like, <laughs> it worked. They had a top-notch pitching staff, right? Right? Um, one of the best in the league, mm -hmm. on, believe it or not, using that strategy. So it's going to be interesting to see over a 162-game season. That's the big question. Right. Whether the league catches up to that, figures that out, figures out a way to adjust, or whether the Twins are able to sustain it for the whole year. Yeah, I think if we were to kind of compare like those little tweaks that we talk about, like we saw that with like uh, Martin Perez back, and he started out great. Yes. He had a huge... Starts of the season, um, it was working on a cutter, would get inside on right-handed hitters, and it was working out really well for him. And then I think, like, maybe, like, seven, eight, nine starts into the season, stuff started to switch a little bit. Guys started to, you know, figure out that cutter on the inside and make adjustments, and he didn't have too good of a time the rest of the year, so... Um, Although he's he's back at it in Boston and pitching pretty well for them. Is he is he doing well? Yeah, he's Different. actually him solid. And, him and Marwin are over there. Yeah, 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 so. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so like yeah, the Red Sox and the Tigers are like taking twins out uh, players out the twin scrap heap. But yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we can think about yeah, that's a great example. The Perez example. I think the Matt Whistler example. I think the Twins feel. Up feel like they got everything they could out of that arm with that slider and throwing it 80% of the time, and now they think, like, well, we're not going to roll that dice anymore. We can get somebody cheaper for, the you know, a new look. Um, you know, Tyler Clippard, Sergio Romo, I think they probably feel like. And I, I felt that way a little bit at the end of the year last year. Like, Romo was not getting – people were not – you know, they were not as susceptible to that slider. They were laying off it. Like, he, I felt like the league had caught up to Sergio Romo. Um, you can think about Ryan Harper a couple of years ago, same thing. He had that crazy slow curve. Like, for about a half a season, people could not hit it, and then suddenly they started shelling him. And so there is something about the Twins looking to, like, use a little tweak, get some mileage out of it, and then recognize that at the end of the day, these guys are only – they're not going to be fixtures to, in the rotation or in the bullpen. They're just going to be stop gaps, and we're going to take them as far as we can. And that, that sounds kind of harsh, 
But on the other hand, these guys may not have had any career after all, right? right. <laughs> it may have been like this or nothing. So yeah. on some level, they're getting a chance for their glory and their one chance to really shine on a, on a high-quality club. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, for sure. I think we can just kind of add to that in terms of, like, the Twins' flexibility. Um, right. Not so just with their rotation, but with their roster as well. We're starting to see a little more of that through spring training. So we've talked about this already a lot, and I just guess I want to say, uh, the, only th- the main thing I want to say about this is that we've been talking about this pretty much the whole offseason, and, you know, of course, we have Zippo listenership compared to the likes of, you know, Aaron Gleeman and the Geek and mm. other guys out there that are doing great stuff, and we're big fans of all of their work. But it's been funny because, you know, yesterday, Sano gets to start at third. He has he does have one bad play. He, he You know, he's got a play at the plate. He throws the pitch, the ball wide. The Braves give up a score, and suddenly the Twitter, the Twins' Twitter verse is like, "Oh, you know, over under on number of games that Miguel Sano is going to play third this year." I put it at one or one point five, and then people are going, "I'll take the under on that." And we've been talking about this. It's like the Twins have said. I mean, all the way back into the winter, Derek Falvey said it, Baldelli has said it, and they said it again after the game yesterday. Mm-hmm. They said. Sano is a third baseman. He can play third base at the in the major leagues. He is able to do it, and we are going to play him there. And uh, the fact of the matter is that I, we were talking about this because there was also a story, I think, in The Athletic about Josh Donaldson and his uh, regimen to stay healthy, and a big part of that was that they're going to give him regular rest. That is just part of the equation. And even, I think, I said on a previous podcast that there was going to be a day on a Sunday you know, where you had Miguel Sano at third, Alex Kirilov at first, and Brett Rooker in left field. And we weren't going to feel bad about that because that was still going to be a solid lineup. Well, guess what? That's exactly what the lineup was yesterday. And Rooker came about three inches from hitting the ball out of the park, right? Kirilov had a couple line drives and played solid first base. Sano, you know, whatever. I mean, he's still Miguel Sano, always able. And so that was a lineup without... Um, Donaldson and I, I totally believe that that's a solid roster that we're going to see that we're going to see that lineup. Um, you know, not every day, of course, but like it's going to be part of the part of the mix. So yeah. I think Twins fans have to get their head around the fact, and I'm going to shout out to the Twins blogosphere that like I actually think you know things like um, arguing about whether Louis Arai should be the leadoff hitter is like yeah he's going to be in a lot of days because they're going to get Polanco regular rest, Simmons is going to get regular rest. I mean, Arise will get time at third base. And so, like, I still think Arise is going to be in that lineup three to four days a week, um, all season long. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's one other article that you sent me uh, that talked about, uh, well, it was a couple articles. One more mentioning the fact that Arise could be more of a leadoff hitter, and another one agreeing with that and saying Kepler could turn around and become more of a cleanup hitter. Um, which honestly, it makes a lot of sense to me. I know Kep has had uh, some struggles at the plate, uh, been very streaky um, uh, since coming up with the big league. You know, his highs are very high um, uh, when he is good, but in terms of uh, a leadoff guy, when he's low and not hitting the ball very well, it's not great. Uh, when it's tough to get that leadoff guy on base, so I definitely think having a rise in that leadoff position would provide more opportunities, you know, to put runs on the board with guys like Donaldson and Cruz hitting behind him and 
as long as he's able to, you know, do what he does as a hitter and just, you know, be pesky and be annoying and, you know, you know, take pitches and make people work. Like, I, I can totally see him being a completely effective leadoff hitter and not just for the Twins, but an effective leader compared to the rest of the league, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Arise sort of fits the bill of the traditional leadoff hitter, right? You know, singles hitter, not going to hit for a lot of power, makes good contacts, got a good eye, high on-base percentage, right? We talked about this last week, right, in terms of looking at Arise's value in terms of OPS, right? And so he can actually have a solid OPS, but it's going to be very different than the OPS that Miguel Sano or Nelson Cruz have. Uh, in the sense that you know his his OPS is going to be driven by his on base percentage, and we, you know and so there's no question that he sort of fits the bill of that traditional leadoff hitter. You combine that with I think we've also talked a little bit about you know who's going to be hitting um, ironically in front of him, right? And in, in other words, who's hitting in the eight and nine slot? And when you think about folks like Simmons and uh, um, Buxton, so you think about Buxton at eight. Simmons at nine, so you got Simmons at nine, contact hitter, puts the ball in play, uh, you got a rise who could, you know, so you, you think about this way, right, a late inning situation, Buxton gets on, you know, if he's not stealing, at least you can easily move him over to second with a bunt or whatever, Simmons is hit and run, which of course is not a huge part of the game anymore, but the idea of putting Simmons in motion, or putting Buxton in motion when we know Simmons is a ground ball hitter, right, um, creates the opportunity to avoid the double play with Simmons because Buxton's got the speed. And then you've got, let's say that situation happens, ground ball, you know, you, you see, you're moving Buxton, Buxton gets to second, Simmons hits a ground ball to the right side or something and gets him to second without the, you know, a throw. Um, and then Arise is out there to hit a single and drives Buxton in and there's a, like any ball that hits grass um, that Arise hits. Um, with Buxton at second is a run. That's just going to be a run. So, like, it makes a lot of sense on both sides, like a rise getting on base for the big boppers, but also being able to move guy, moving a Buxton who's got wheels, who's going to score from second on pretty much anything um, in the league. And so um, any single, you know, that's, that a rise would hit. So it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Kepler thing is interesting because um, the way that they talked about it in the story was that Kepler's got this unique situation where he, he makes contact. He's, he, he, he doesn't have a, a high on-base percentage. Um, he doesn't take a lot of pitches. He's aggressive early in the count. Um, and, but he, and he's got this low, what they call, batting average for balls in play, which means that um, even though he hits the ball hard, um, he has a lot of fly balls. And so, therefore, he's not... Um, He's not got the batting average that you would expect for the amount of contact that he makes. And so the idea there was, well, you put him lower in the order, and if there's guys on base in front of him, his those outs, which are just outs when you're a leadoff hitter, right? They're just out number one. Maybe that actually, you know, let's say you've got um, um, uh, Buxton at second there, or maybe it's like, you know, you can move the runner over. Like maybe you got, you know, Cruz hits a double, and then, you know, Kepler hits a fly ball to right field and, you know, Cruz maybe legs it out on the tag up. I don't know about that. But, you know, but the, the point is, is that he could actually move runners with those with those hits if he's got if he's deeper in the order. And I thought that was an interesting idea of like, how do you make sure that his at bats are more productive? And the best way to make his at bats productive is having him be, have guys on base because he is he doesn't he's not going to sort of, you know, he doesn't have the high batting average um, for balls in play. So anyway, I mean, one more thing I would just say about that is, I mean, when we see Kepler uh, doing well, he's hitting the ball hard. Uh, he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Um, 
but when he's in that leadoff position, there's not a lot of guys on base when he does that. Right. So like exactly. Um, I think you know, like in that 2019 season, you know, he had a great year. He had a lot of home runs, but a lot of them were solo home runs because they were from the leadoff position. And so like if he was able to kind of find that similar. Uh, find that swing that he had in 2019 and have it come from the fourth or fifth spot in the lineup with guys on base like that just makes us that much more dangerous I think it's it, it like a solo home run like is great but like it's the same thing as you know a rise hitting a single and scoring Buxton you know what I mean so like I'd rather have you know a rise hitting Buxton home from the leadoff spot and then having him on base for Kepler to come up and do what he does because that just makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and if it goes the way it's supposed to go, our lineup is just going to be that much harder to pitch against. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, another left-handed bat that you got to face that can take you deep. Well, you have to have a left-handed bat in that fourth slot after Donaldson and Cruz, right? You can't have like a completely loaded right-handers with a right-handed pitcher. So I think Kepler does make a lot of sense there. I, he looks, he does fit the form of like what could be a cleanup hitter. So it'll be interesting to see. There's no, there's no indication at this point that they're thinking about doing that. So I'd love to have somebody come up with a counter argument. So what is the Twins thinking about having Kepler in the leadoff? I would love to hear somebody write that counter argument because I'm not seeing it. Um, I, I was pretty persuaded. Matt Trueblood, Twins Daily, check it out. It's a great story. Um, and a great explanation of why Kepler would be the good option there. Um, and I'm looking for somebody to tell me why the Twins think that Kepler is the guy to have in that leadoff spot. Because I agree, Arise makes a lot of sense. No, if Arise isn't playing, who do you put there? Maybe you put Kepler there. Then that's okay with me, I guess. But uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that Arise is going to be in that slot anytime when he's in the order. I mean, if he's in the lineup, I'm going to predict that Arise is going to be the leadoff guy. So we're going to see. Yeah, I mean... I think that's all we got today, but uh, I hope your brackets stay somewhat. I mean, I, I think everybody. May the odds. Bro- what do they say? May the odds be ever in your favor. That's right. Um, even if you had Ohio State in your Final Four. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I got so I'm, I guess I'm going to have to ride the Texas Longhorns. They're my other sort of mm-hmm. little bit of an outsider mm-hmm. pick for the Final Four. That's right. I'm guessing everybody else in the world has Illinois and Gonzaga, which are my other two. So. I think it's going to be all about whether Baylor can not make it and whether Texas can. And if those two things happen, then I got a shot. No, I, I think I'm right there with you. I'm on the Shaka smart train as well. All right, man. For that Texas team. So yeah. We'll see what happens uh, in March Madness. But until next week, uh, thanks for playing Catch Me This week, guys. I'll see you next time.